It's good to look out and see Debbie Henderson back, healed up, and praise the Lord that your surgery went well. And and then I see Pat Rainbow back too. Welcome back, Pat. So look forward to fellowshipping with you all. Second Timothy chapter three. If you're using the black Bibles that are provided, um, that's on page nine ninety six. If you're familiar with the letter of 2 Timothy, this is Paul's uh, final exhortations to his protege, Timothy, to his, his son in the faith. Matter of fact, soon the Apostle Paul will be martyred for his faith. So, um, you know, I, I just think that always helps put things in perspective, you know, like what, what are these last words that he's really, that the Spirit is leading him to really communicate to Timothy and to God's people. So we're going to be begin in 2 Timothy 3.10. And once again, I'd ask the congregation to stand, please, for the reading of God's word. Today we're going to focus on verses 15 through chapter 4, verse 4. But I'll begin reading in verse 10 just to give us the context here. Let's hear the word of the Lord to, together now. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, My aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you, you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. In the 16th century, God orchestrated a mighty work of reformation by raising up key individuals to rediscover and proclaim the gospel. These reformers led people to return back to the gospel and to the Bible as their authority in life and in practice. And so today, in honor of Reformation Sunday, I wanted to preach a sermon on the Bible. So the title of the message is, The Gift of God's Word. The gift of God's word. 
We are blessed. We are so blessed that God has revealed himself to us in his word and that he's graciously given us all access to his words in our own language that we can understand. And we're blessed, as, as Brandon prayed, that, that God has given us his spirit, both individually, corporately, and, and that his spirit is at work even now to open the eyes of our heart that we may understand his word and respond in, in the proper way. And so today from this passage in 2 Timothy, I want to make four points about the Bible. I want to just remind you and cause you to rejoice in, in this marvelous gift that you have right there laying on your lap, the gift of God's word. So point number one, it's going to be a simple outline if you want to take notes. It's origin. It's origin. Look at verse 16 there of 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is breathed out by God. What is the origin of the Bible? Where did the Bible come from? Well, quite simply, the Bible is from God. The Bible is God's word. Scripture is breathed out by God, which means it is the very words of God. If you've studied theology at all, you know that's called the doctrine of inspiration. Inspiration means breathed out. God breathed into the human writers by his spirit. Interestingly, spirit in in Greek is pneuma. That word also means uh, wind or breath. Right? So that's what he's teaching us here, that Scripture is breathed out by God. This is the Spirit of God. So when God breathed into the biblical writers by his Spirit, God ensured that they wrote down exactly what he wanted them to say. Another important verse, you don't have to turn to it, but just note it in your minds. Second Peter one twenty one. It says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And again, the the picture there, they're they're playing on words here, right? That that carried along, that that verb means, it's used elsewhere, matter of fact, in the Bible, of of a ship being driven along by the wind, right? Remember, spirit is breath or wind. And so it's explaining that that's how the Bible came to us. The Spirit carried along men to write down the very words of God. Men were empowered And led by the Holy Spirit to write scripture, to write God's word. These are the very words of God. They are are from the mouth of God. Yes, you know, they've been translated to us. So everything I say is as uh, as it pertains to the original manuscripts. But we can have confidence in our translations that these are the very words of God. God led human authors to write exactly what he wanted them to write down to the very words. Again, that's called verbal inspiration. In other words, God didn't just give the human writers, you know, like Peter or Paul or or Matthew, right? He didn't just say, hey, you know what? I want you to write something about sin, and then I want you to kind of talk a little bit about uh, judgment, and then but talk about Jesus, right? And you just kind of run with that, you know? No, he didn't do that. No, he, he, he led them, he guided them to write his very words. But then on the flip side, he didn't hijack their minds and their personalities and, and turn them into robots where it was just like dictation. I mean, it, it, it's kind of mysterious to us, but God in his sovereign power worked through their, 
the human authors, their personalities, their minds, their experiences, sovereignly ensuring that what, that what they wrote was exactly what he wanted them to write. And again, God's inspiration extends to the very words that they chose. Look again at verse 16. All scripture is breathed out. All of the Bible is God's word. So again, just to be very straightforward, when we open up God's word, we know that we are reading, or let me say it this way, when we open up the Bible, we know that we are reading God's word. We know that we are reading what he has breathed out to us, that this comes to us from the mouth of God. The church father Augustine said, when the scripture is read, God speaks. Isn't that something, right? You know, when we have someone come up and read the scripture, God is speaking to us. When we open our Bibles, we have God's very words, right? So I've kind of hammered that point into the ground, haven't I? (laughs) But then let's think about that. What are the implications then? If these are the very words of God, what are the implications for us? Well, that means the Bible is authoritative, right? It's coming to us from the very mouth of Almighty God. Scripture alone is our final authority in life and in practice. It means also that not only authoritative, but that the Bible is trustworthy, right? These are the very words of God, and God doesn't lie. God is completely trustworthy, and so we can trust our Bibles. It means that the Bible is inerrant, free from error, right? These are God's words. God doesn't make mistakes. Another implication, again, just kind of maybe even stepping back and kind of looking at the big picture, what is the implication for us that these are the very words of God? Well, it's just that God has spoken to us. God has made himself known. What is the Bible? The Bible is God revealing himself to us. I mean, creation uh, declares the glory of God. Creation points us to uh, his his power, his wisdom, his beauty. But the Bible is special revelation, right? The creation's general revelation tells us some things generally about God, but the Bible tells us specifically about God, who he is, um, how we can know him, how he is to be worshipped, right? The Bible is God revealing himself to us, what he has done, what he is continuing to do, how we can approach him. Think about, I mean, just kind of the, the, all the important themes or topics that the Bible reveals to us, that God reveals to us through the Bible. The Bible tells us about creation, where we came from, why we are here, where history is headed. I mean, those are huge things that it, we need to know, and God has told us. The Bible is God telling us about why things are broken, Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Why is there evil? Why is there death? Well, the Bible tells us how sin entered into the world, bringing those things, bringing separation from God. The Bible is God telling us what he has done then to bring salvation, how he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to defeat sin, to to conquer death, to triumph over Satan by dying on the cross and rising again. 
The Bible tells us how Jesus saves his people from God's wrath, from the punishment that they deserve, and how he reverses the curse of sin. How Jesus is making all things new. The Bible tells us what God is doing in this world then. That right, Jesus having come and and lived and died and rose again, that he's now exalted at the Father's right hand. He's reigning and that he's building his kingdom. That he's delivered, he continues through his spirit, through his church, bringing the gospel. He's continuing now to deliver his people. He's calling people out of darkness and to himself. He's, He's calling them out of this world and into his kingdom. He's rescuing sinners like you and me. And so the Bible tells us where history is headed. That one day Jesus will return. Yes, things continue to be broken now. We continue to have sin and death and suffering and evil. But it's not always going to be that way, the Bible tells us. That one day Jesus is going to return. And he's going to eradicate all evil. He's going to raise his own. He's going to renew creation with no more sin. No more suffering, no more death. And so through the Bible, God has revealed What we most need to know. What do we most need to know? How to know God. How to know God and enjoy him forever. And the Bible tells us that. What a gift the Bible is to us. What a gift from God. The Bible is God's word to us. It's been breathed out. It's from God himself. Secondly then, let's consider its value. I hope you're already starting to see that, right? It's value. We see that in the passage here. All scripture, verse 16, is breathed out by God and profitable. That's why I chose that word value. You know, Paul, through the Spirit, is telling us, man, the Bible is profitable. It's valuable. It's useful to you. That's what that word means. It means beneficial, productive, Some versions translate it useful. In other words, the Bible accomplishes great things. And and that's what Paul goes on to do in verse 16. List several ways that God's word is useful. And we're going to get to that list. But but first I want us to kind of go backwards to the previous verse. Verse 15. Because there we see an important use of scripture as well. There Paul refers to the scriptures. Again, he's kind of talking about um, Timothy's testimony but he refers to the scriptures as the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's valuable. That is useful. There's nothing more valuable than that. The Bible is useful because it teaches us about salvation. First, the Bible tells us about our need for salvation, right? That we've all sinned and fall fall short of the glory of God, that our sin, again, has left us separated from God and headed for eternal punishment. So it tells us our need for salvation, but then the Bible also reveals God's gracious provision for salvation, that God lovingly sent his son into the world to become a man and die in the place of sinners. And how on the third day, then, Jesus rose from the dead, and now he freely gives eternal life and forgiveness of sins to all who embrace him by faith as Lord and Savior. The Bible tells us that. The Bible explains, again, the means of receiving salvation, that it cannot be earned. 
right? That's what man often thinks, right? Oh, I just got to try to make myself right with God. I just got to do enough good things or, or cause my, you know, punish myself in some way or whatever. No, the Bible says it can't be earned. It's a gift of God's grace that is received through faith. That's what verse 15 says, right? The sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, in Christ Jesus. So the Bible tells us our need for salvation, our prov- the provision, the means of receiving it. What a gift. Because left to ourselves, we don't realize this, right? Left to ourselves, we don't know we need salvation. Or again, if, we, if there is some inkling of that, we try to earn it ourselves. But the Bible teaches clearly that salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Right, the great solas of the Reformation. How did those come about? Because God directed people back to the Bible. And the Bible tells us those things. So the Bible not only tells us about salvation, but it, again, the means through which God brings about salvation. And not only do I mean by, yes, it's how we receive salvation, but, well, let me say it this way. Not only does the Bible tell us about salvation and even how to receive it, but the Bible itself is the means through which we are saved. It's the means through which God brings about salvation. Remember what it says in Romans. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible explains that by nature our hearts are spiritually dead in our sins. And so on our own we will not recognize our need to trust in Christ But God, by his spirit, takes his word and gives life to our dead hearts. Right? We've seen that in Matthew several times. The the sower sows the seed. And by God's grace, that seed lands and and and, uh, penetrates, gets roots, and then bears fruit. It produces life. God opens our eyes. He gives us faith to trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. And he does that through the word of God. Our salvation comes through the word of God. Christ purchased it. And then we are saved. We know about Christ's work by hearing it through the word of God. Another verse for you to jot down. 1 Peter 1.23. He says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. You hear what he's saying? He's saying you've been born again through the word of God. I, I mean, think about your own testimony, loved ones. If we could, would take the time and just hear everyone's testimony of how they came to faith in Christ, there's no doubt that it, the word of God played an important role in your salvation, right? I mean, someone either preached it or taught it or explained the gospel to you from the scriptures or maybe you began reading the word for yourself. And and for many of us, it was probably a combination of those things, right? But God used his word to open our eyes, to give us faith, to embrace Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What a precious, life-giving gift the Bible is. So that it's, it's valuable not only because it, it brings salvation, but then it continues to be valuable. It continues to be useful in the Christian's life. Look at verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, 
and for training in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Wow, what a list. He's saying the word of God, scripture, because it's breathed out from God, because these are not the words of man, these are the very words of God, it's useful for for teaching us, right? It's the instrument that the Spirit uses to, to teach us how to follow Christ, teaches us what God's will is, teaches us, again, what life is all about. Scripture is useful not only for teaching, but notice for reproof, right? For reproof, correction, very similar. For it, it's the instrument God uses to convict us of sin, right? To show us where we're wrong. Maybe outwardly, also probably where we're wrong from our heart. What, what wrong sinful desire were we trying to satisfy? What wrong motive did we have? God's word convicts us. Think about what if Hebrews 4.12 says. It's living and active, penetrating, dividing. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but joint and marrow, right? Down to the very soul is the point. God's word does that. Corrects, it reproves us. It trains us, it says. So, again, get the picture. It's like God's word teaches us, and then when we're starting to kind of go off the path, which we do daily, right? God's word convicts us, corrects us, says, hey, no, that's wrong. You, you shouldn't go that way, right? You're, it points us back to the right way, and then it continues to train us. It, it corrects our thinking. It renews our mind. Here's why you went astray. Here's what you need to change. Here's where you're not... Uh, considering Christ, considering what he's done, you're, not, you're forgetting who you are in Christ, right? So change your thinking. God's word convicts us and motivates us to repent and change, and it trains us, shows us where we need to change, how we need to change, and actually helps bring about that change. God's, God uses his word to, to develop new patterns of thinking and living in our lives. And I love what verse 17 says. Again, really, you take 16 and 17 together, and Paul's being very um, all-encompassing, isn't he? All Scripture is breathed out by God, right? And he goes through what it's valuable for, that the man of God, that the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Right? Why did God save us? So that we could know him, enjoy him, bring glory to him, be used by him, right? Ephesians 2.10 says that he has good works prepared for us to do. Well, how are we going to do that? It's through him growing us through the word of God, right? He doesn't just save us and then kind of abandon us. (laughs) Think of how when Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, right? I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And then we know he's given us his word that the Spirit uses. So verse 17 is so encouraging. How can we be doing what God intends for us to do? How can we be living in in a communion with Christ the way we've been created and redeemed to live? It's by growing through the word of God. Through his word, he will equip us for every good work. I mean, probably many of us have been put in positions, you know, maybe on a job, maybe in service in a church, right, where you're kind of like, Hey, we need somebody, and they stick you in there, right? And they don't 
they don't train you, they don't equip you, they kind of leave you to flounder, you know, and you're like, oh boy. God doesn't do that. God does not do that. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness, Second Peter says, through our knowledge of him. How do we know him? Through his word. Hold your place there in 2 Timothy. I've got to just share this other passage with you. Psalm 19. So flip back to the Old Testament. Psalm 19, page 456 if you're using the Black Bibles. Again, another um, theological term for you, doctrinal term, would be the sufficiency of Scripture. Right? That's, what, that's what we're talking about right now. That's what 2 Timothy 3.16 is, is really all about. The sufficiency of Scripture. That Scripture is sufficient. It's, it's all that we need to live a life that's pleasing to God. It's all that we need to know God and to bring glory to Him. Is found in Scripture. Psalm 19, again, begins with talking about creation, general revelation, but then in the second half in verse 7, it moves into special revelation. And it, the psalmist uh, is just talking about the word of God, just different names for the word of God all throughout here, right? Look at verse 7. The law of God is perfect, reviving the soul. So he's going to share a characteristic of the word of God, and then he's going to say what it does then, what it, how it's useful, how it's valuable. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. The word of God is valuable and it's useful. You go through, you take the time to go through all those things that Psalm 19 is saying, and it's all the things that we face, loved ones, in this Christian life. When you're discouraged, when you're sad, when you're stressed, when you're tempted, when you don't know what to do, when, you, when, you're, when you're just, you feel foolish, you feel you need to grow, when you're trying to discern, trying to process all this information, and what does it look like to, to be a Christian and to be in this world but not of this world, and, and, and the world is, is, is saying this, but the, what do I do? The Bible equips us how to live, how to know God and bring glory to him. That's what it's saying. It rejoices the heart. It revives the soul. It gives light to the eyes. But you would, it's amazing how quickly Christians look other places for help when they really should be looking to the word of God. Again, that's what the sufficiency of Scripture is talking about. Again, let's just get real practical. I mean, what do you do when you're stressed out? What do you do when you're discouraged? What do you do when, you're, when your heart is heavy with sorrow? I, I know what I'm tempted to do sometimes, right? Oh, I'm just going to, I just got to distract myself, right? You know, I just got to veg out and, you know, you know let's, let's watch something stupid on YouTube, you know? Or, let, oh, let's go eat, you know, oh, maybe I'll find comfort in that, right? I mean, there's all kinds of things that we can run to other than the word of God. But yet God's word is what provides 
the help that we need. His word is what will, I mean, daily I have to do this, right? We all have to. You know, you, you wake up and, and maybe the pressures of the day start, start um, pounding you. Maybe the discouragement of, of whatever has been happening lately just is like right in your face. What do you do? How do you, how do you, how do you deal with that? Well, you've got to reorient your life in God's word. Reorient your mind. Remind yourself what is true, what his prom- the promises of the gospel are, so you can thank God, so you can praise God, so you can draw near to God. So let's, go, let's use our Bibles. That's really what I'm calling us to do. Let's use our Bibles. Let's read our Bibles with a humble heart that's ready to be instructed. And again, I hope you see, I hope I've made this clear, I'm not saying the Bible is just some kind of rule book, right? I'm not just saying it's only a list of commands, you know, that we consult like a farmer's almanac or something like that. No, the Bible is about God. It's more than just a rule book. It's it's God revealing what's true to us. And and the way it changes us is not just, oh, there's a rule I got to follow. Oh, there's a rule I got to follow. Oh, I mean, there are commands, don't get me wrong, but as we read God's word, he changes us from the inside out, right? It's not just us trying to force ourselves under some commands. No, it's, it's him transforming us as we gaze upon the beauty of Christ. He's transforming us from the inside out, Second Corinthians 3 says, so that we love him. We want to follow him. The things of this world grow strangely dim. Another way of saying that is the Bible shows us what is reality. That the things of this world are passing away, that Christ's kingdom is eternal, that there's an unseen world, right, of spiritual forces that we, we don't think about very often. The Bible tells us that Jesus is Lord of all, that life is ultimately about glorifying him and enjoying him forever. Again, I'm sorry for belaboring it, but... I'll close this point by just saying, don't you long to be thoroughly equipped? Don't you long to be able to live the life that God is calling you to live? It's not, it's not a mystery. That's why he's given us his word. So we've considered it, the Bible's origin, its value. Look at its use then, right? I mean, this flows perfectly, doesn't it? Uh, Chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, In light of what I've just said about the Bible and how it's from God and how useful it is for all these things, everything that we need in the Christian life, he says to Timothy in chapter 4, Use it! (laughs) Use it! I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Verse 2, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. And then here we have the same list, right? Basically, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So he's charging Timothy in light of the fact that these are God's very words and that they they're, they're make us wise for salvation, that they equip us for everything. Use them. Preach the word all the time. Teach the word with patience. Use the word to equip, to correct, to call God's people to action. God's people need God's word. 
right? So, I mean, this, again, this is instructive for us in our personal lives. This is instructive for us in what our church services should look like. What do God's people need? They don't need entertainment, right? I mean, this world is, we have entertainment coming out of our ears. We don't need to come and be entertained. No. We, don't, we certainly don't need the philosophy of men. We can hear that lots of places. Not very helpful. We need to hear from God. Right? When we gather together, we need to hear from God. We need the authoritative, life-giving, soul-strengthening word of God. That's why we just covered this verse this last week. In Colossians 3, verse 16, he's exhorting the church there. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So the Bible must be central to our life as a church, to our gatherings, to our interactions. We preach it, we teach it, we study it, we counsel with it, we speak it to one another, right? That's what Colossians 3 said, that's what Ephesians says. And we do all that, loved ones, with the confidence that God uses his word to create spiritual life and that God uses his word to grow his people in the faith. So I hope you're being encouraged, even in, in you know, thinking about your home, thinking about your interactions. Let's sow the word by God's grace. Let's sow the word faithfully. And as we do, we bathe it in prayer, right? Because again, we know this has to be God doing this. So we sow the word and we pray like crazy. God, please work through your word. I, I, pray, I pray that you will pray for me. I pray that you will pray for me as I study God's word, that you'll pray for me as I preach God's word and anyone who's up here. And that's something God's been teaching me. And we, we need to always be reforming, right? And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just sharing this off the cuff with you out loud now. Um, you know, we need to, I, I want to figure out how to mobilize us to pray more. And, you know, you think, oh, great, prayer meetings again. But let's, let's pray, right? You know, I'm, let's you know, we could gather before the, the worship service and pray for the, for the preaching and reading of God's word and singing of God's word that's going to go out, that hearts would be changed, right? We're not here just to go through the motion. We're here to worship God and to grow. So let's pray before the service. We could have people set aside praying during the service, right? We could have a rotation going, people praying, right? You know, Spurgeon's furnace room that he talks about. We need that. So stay tuned. <laughs> oh man, I'm I'm going long here, aren't I? Let's see. Again, I think this is. I'll try to summarize this a little bit. I think this is um, hopefully is encouraging to you when you think about what does the Bible tell us about God? That God wants to be known. That He has spoken clearly in words that we can understand. And. And the reason I bring that up is, again, thinking about Reformation Sunday, thinking about the fruit that came out of the Reformation, one of the big things was to get the Bible back in the hands of the, of the lay people. Because at that time there in the 16th century, uh, the leaders of the medieval Catholic Church, they alone had access to the scriptures. Everything was in Latin. All the services were in Latin. Very few people even knew what was going on. They couldn't read the Bible. And as God, again, worked through godly people and raise them up they said no we've got to get back to god's word 
And so that led to, to people translating the Bible in the modern tongue. The church used to say, oh no, the Bible's too complicated. You, you need the professionals to explain it to you. No, God has spoken clearly. Any person, the, the, the guy behind the plow, right, can understand the word of God. That's what the reformers said. Because God has spoken clearly. He wants to be known. He's given his Holy Spirit who will give light and understanding. So Martin Luther translated the Bible into German so that everybody in Germany could read it for themselves. Not long after that, William Tyndale translated the Bible into English, praise God, right? Later, John Calvin's cousin translated the Bible into French. I mean, it was just beautiful how the word of God was going forth in mighty ways. And again, I share that with you to think, what it, to remind you what a gift we have, that we have God's word. So, I hope that, uh, talking about its value, talking about its use, I hope that encourages you to keep using your Bible. Keep using it at home. Use it to disciple your kids. Use it in your personal walk with God. Use it in your marriage. Use it to overcome temptation. Use it to draw near to God. Set aside time every day to read the Word, to be in the Word. Find ways to fill up your mind with God's Word. Listen to podcasts that there's... there's Reading, read through the Bible in a year, right? There's those kind of podcasts you can do, even as you're doing things throughout the, the house or driving. Get God's word into your hearts, loved ones. So we've seen the Bible's origin, its value, its use, but fourthly and finally, and I'll try to be quick with this. I will be quick with it. It's disregard. I, that's where the passage goes. I feel like I need to say it, right? It's disregard. He's told Timothy, use it, right? Use it thoroughly. Use it with patience. Verse 3, 4. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. God warns us that people are going to deviate from sound teaching. That's what it says. People are going to deviate from sound teaching. Instead, they will move toward teachers that satisfy their sinful desires, teachers that entertain, teachers that speak to felt needs, teachers that boost their self-esteem, right? Because teachers that aren't going to correct them, teachers that aren't going to rebuke them, teachers that aren't going to exhort them to seek God and his kingdom. Because really what they want is they want, to, they want their own personal kingdom to be exalted, right? That's our sin nature. Verse 4 says people are going to turn away from the truth to follow myths. And what's sobering about this is, as I was trying to meditate on these verses, understand them, is I think these are church-type people, right? These are church-type people. I mean, this this is not talking about people who are sitting at home now on Sunday morning watching football. These are people who have gathered to listen to a teacher, yet they've strayed. They've strayed from the truth, and they've wandered off into myths. And it just reminds me, what is at the heart of sin? What is Satan's MO? It's to get us to disregard God's word. Right? Ever since the garden, Satan seeks to distort God's word and get us to disregard God's word. 
So loved ones, may we be diligent to abide in Christ and have his words abide in us that we will be firmly rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. So in conclusion, God has spoken in the words of Scripture. The Bible is absolutely trustworthy and reliable. Scripture gives us the truth regarding God, man, sin, salvation, eternity, ethics, values, the proper perspective on life. The Bible has unsurpassed authority, and it alone is the voice of God on earth. The Bible is sufficient, making us wise unto salvation, equipping us for every good work. So what a gift, what a treasure we have in the word of God. Words that bring salvation, words that refresh our souls and bring joy to our hearts, words that protect us from sin and temptation, words that that train us to glorify God and enjoy him forever, words that bring comfort and hope, words that lead to sweet communion with our Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing gift God's word is to us. How blessed we are. I got on Wycliffe's uh, website today, and according to them, 1.5 billion people today don't have a full Bible in their language. 1.5 billion, and again, according to Wycliffe, 145 million people don't have any scripture at all in their language. (laughs) What a gift that we have, right? May we pray for and support, serve those ministries that are trying to get God's word out, And may we cherish the gift that we have. What a gift God has given us that we each have our own copies of his very life-giving words. And so let me ask you, what are you doing with God's gift? What are you doing with this precious gift of God's word? My prayer is that God will create in us a sustained hunger for his word. May God cause us to delight in his word. Why? Because we delight in him. May God help us to know God and to make him known through his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for being a God who delights to make yourself known. What a a gracious act of you. You didn't need us. You chose to make yourself known so that we could know you. Please forgive us. Please forgive us for our neglect of your word. Please forgive us for how we are prone, even the sin that remains in us, how we are prone to disregard your word, to just leave it on the shelf. Oh God, please grant us grace to truly repent of that, to develop good habits. Give us the strength we need each day. Fill us with joy and anticipation that of, of worshiping you, of knowing you, communing with you. Father, we acknowledge that we desperately need your word. We need it even more than we need daily food. We need your word. 
Please incline our hearts toward your word and not toward the foolish things of this world. Again, give us a deep hunger for your word, a hunger to know you, to worship you, to serve you. And we do pray for ministries like Wycliffe. I think of our our very own ministry partner, Baruch. Lord, work through them. Keep working through them. And your church as a whole, to get your word available, to get it accessible to every person. Please give us, even this week, opportunities to speak your words to someone else to speak the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us, that many more, by your, your sovereign grace, that many more will come to treasure you, to come, come to treasure our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the living word. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand, please? We'll close by singing about the precious gospel, the gospel, the good news that Jesus, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that God has made known to us through his word. So we're just going to sing in Christ alone. We'll, we'll just sing it a cappella. So it's on the back of your song sheets there. Let's sing together in worship. <clears throat>